Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Today we are here for the 10th episode of our movie series, We Watched Star Trek Nemesis. Nemesis, dun dun dun. <laughs> I like, Rihanna, we don't have like any kind of special effects or like when we, yeah. were on, when we were on Strange New Pod, they were like throwing out sound effects like as we were recording live. And so we don't have that here. So Rihanna just goes, da da da. <laughs> I think I've done that on like maybe a third of our podcast. So oh. I'm just, I'm not here for your sound effects. <laughs> I do it too. I think a lot of it, I don't even realize I'm doing it until I'm editing and I'm like, why am I like, <laughs> like, you know, like, what, what was that for? <laughs> I mean, you're an opera singer, so, like, that really makes sense to me, that tracks. Oh, thanks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ashlyn, we are here doing Nemesis. Last week, we were together for Insurrection, and I am just so excited that we're getting through these movies. It seems like this crazy, beautiful journey, and I can't believe that Abrams is next. I can't believe it either, but I'm also excited because I feel like we've seen a lot of next gen at this point and I'm ready to start something new. Ready uh, to go back to Kirk 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I said it last week, but I am starting to really, really miss watching like Voyager on a weekly basis. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to miss my normal shows though. <laughs> Well, since it was just the 29th uh, anniversary of Deep Space Nine starting, I have been watching a lot of Deep Space Nine on my free time or like just putting on a random episode of Lower Decks. Like my girlfriend is finally going back to work. And so since we're like a pandemic relationship, I'm like, what do, what do when I'm home alone? <laughs> and so my obvious answer is watch Star Trek. So I have been watching really good ones. I watched this terrifying one where Seven of Nine was like, had to be by herself while everyone was in cryo sleep. It was really scary Wait, i was in like ds9 no in voyager it was terrifying oh god anyway and then i watched a deep space nine episode because i was like i need to be happy but then i'm like wait it's deep space nine <laughs> so anyway that's been my journey i really do feel the same though like i miss watching certain episodes or like i'm just so sad every day that voyager and deep space nine and enterprise don't have movies like come on people let's go <laughs> I know Star Trek kind of took the idea of like, oh, a TV movie, let's do it, it'll be fun, and then just like exploded it and said, we will make a movie franchise. <laughs> like, <laughs> Literally, don't oh my mess gosh. around. Also, I mean, yeah, I, oh, I, I love that you are like all of the pets during the pandemic, Rihanna, where they got <laughs> yeah. so used to being with humans, and then now that your girlfriend is gone, you're like, um, <laughs> I'm like, what, what do, do I do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally, my, we have, like, two cats that we got in the pandemic, so our other one um, Brianna's had for a while, but, like, two of them are kind of uh, have some separation anxiety as much as I do, so we just sit together on the couch and wait for Brianna to get back. <laughs> just, like, look at the door all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also just want to stop in our tracks and say, Happy New Year! Woo! <laughs> Happy 2022, folks! 
Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, that's how I feel. Brianna's ooh was really metaphorical. I feel the same way. I don't really have any resolutions this year. I think maybe is to get more Patreons out is one of my resolutions. And yeah. also to edit a little faster because whenever Rhian and I split up the podcast, my half takes forever. <laughs> and hers <laughs> is like zippity doo. She's like, I'm done in a day. And I'm like, I need four more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> she's totally exaggerating. Ashlyn's actually a lot faster than she likes to give herself credit for. But she's also working a crazy amount and has like, you know, a life that she's doing. And I'm working from home and have a lot of off time. So I'm just like, doo, 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 let's go. So it's very different. Don't sell yourself short. Thank you. Yeah, I had that realization because Attack on Titan comes out on the 9th, which I, Rhianne and I had a call and like checked in and she was like, I watched all of season three in 24 hours. I did. And, it's true. And so I came home and I told Danny that and he was like, because then I said, I proclaimed, I'm like, I'm going to watch all of Attack on Titan before the ninth. And he looked oh. at me and he was like, no, you're not. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Brianna and I are watching two episodes a day of season four, part one, to get ready for the new season. And even that is like a lot for us, two episodes a day, because we're also watching the OVAs that are coming out. It's crazy. We're kind of like huge mega fans of Attack on Titan. So she's reading the manga also. So like, good luck. <laughs> Yeah, well, I just used to be the type of person that could binge watch something mm-hmm. in a short amount of time. And now that, like you mentioned, I have a like a 40-hour-a-week job and yeah. a house and a, and a dear, sweet kitty who I need to mother. Right, and, <laughs> another, and another singing job. Like, you've got a lot going. Oh, that's true. I forgot. She that... forgot about her other job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is how busy Ashlyn is, everyone, if you're not aware. She's, She's literally... like, whatever. <laughs> When, when we were recording Strange New Pod, she literally came from a rehearsal and was like running into the house and be like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah, like <laughs> so. a dress rehearsal. We were like in the hall and I was I was trying to like run out of the venue and I was like, excuse me, I have to go record my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let me out. I love this energy. Yeah, but anyway, I hope you have a great 2022 and I hope your resolutions are fit to whatever you need them to be. Because if we've learned anything in these past couple years, it's that we need to expect the unexpected and maybe keep our expectations low. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like, don't be hard on yourself if your resolutions that you set on December 31st don't come true this month or this next couple months or even this year because like I think maintaining the course is just as valiant of an effort and that's what I'm doing this year (laughs) absolutely and I mean think about a year ago from today we didn't even think there was ever going to be an insurrection at the capitol you know so (laughs) that that comes tomorrow (laughs) but hey don't worry we talked about insurrection last week so yeah yeah exactly (laughs) we've moved on from the insurrection (laughs) just like America oh So, Ashlyn, before we dive into this, I want to do our shout-out of the week. Oh! Yeah, there we go. I was going to say, if we had a sound effect, it'd be like, shout-out of the week. But Ashlyn just goes, oh! (laughs) (laughs) Which is just as good. It works. (laughs) So, this week, we are shouting out the Gospel According to Star Trek podcast, who commented in our DMs. They actually shared our first contact discussion questions that we posted on... Instagram. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I'm just like making bird noises, but I'm so excited. I'm like, ooh, they shared our stuff. 
it was very exciting. Like I was just, you know, going through people's stories and saw it on there. And so I said, thank you for sharing. And they said, you're welcome. We did an episode on that film recently too. I'm looking forward to hearing yours. And also I said, very exciting. I'll give yours a listen. And so if you all want to hear their first contact episode, it's called Flawed, Weak, Organic. Ooh. I know. I'm already intrigued. Ooh, so I'm thinking about like that flesh of Data's arm patch. Exactly. And wow. I'm just, it's really cool because like I think about how many people are covering Star Trek movies right now in their podcasts or how many people are just a Star Trek movie podcast or like, you, you know, movie in general that are maybe doing a Star Trek series. So this is just so exciting when we can align with other people and what they're doing. Like when Temporal Trek podcast was doing all their time travel stuff while we were in our time travel series. It's just so fun when it aligns like that. So thank you. Yeah, and because of all of this movie alignment, we are very excited that we are going to have two guests back to back next week and the week after. We're, we're like flipping our lids. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see us, but I'm like flailing my arms. So yeah. I'm very excited. <laughs> we are. Yeah, we're very excited. Next week, we will have Trek Untold joining us to discuss the 2009 Abrams movie, which I'm just so excited to talk about, and I'm very excited to have another podcast on our show, because we haven't had that yet. Yeah, we've only had, you know, like, friends and family, so it's very exciting. Um, We're just so thrilled for Trek Untold, and we will let you know our our next guest next week. Ooh, yeah, just one at a time, so you can get excited. (laughs) Yeah, we gotta give you a little bite size, you know, can't give it away all at once. Speaking of bite size, Rihanna, mm-hmm. um, I'm <laughs> I'm like, what's Ashlyn's transition here? <laughs> I was trying to think of it as it came out. Um, what bite did you take out of Nemesis when you first watched it? <laughs> hey, there, thank you. That was pretty good. No, nah, it was weak, but that's <laughs> yeah. what we got. Okay, well, yes, since you asked me... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here is what I remember of the bite I took. (laughs) (laughs) I do think we were at mom's house in the basement in your room on Mm -hmm. your laptop or mine. That doesn't matter. Yeah. I think we pirated the F out of this movie. I think so. And this, I mean, all of these movies were during a phase in our lives, I think we've mentioned before, where we took notes and we gave, not took notes, where we gave points to each character because we were kind of doing like some data tracking about who was our favorite character based off of how awesome they were and like what cool things they did. So every time we liked like, oh, Jordy was like really cool in that scene. Let's give him a point. This was our last TNG movie. Neither of us had seen it before. I remember Rihanna being an absolute distraught mess. Yes. Because Data is her favorite character. Besides, like, the circumstances of the movie itself, I remember that I did not like Tom Hardy at all. I didn't know him as an actor because I was, like, I don't know, 15 or something where I wasn't, like, aware of the movie world. And I really, really hated that they didn't just use... Patrick Stewart twice to be a villain because I thought that would have been much stronger. I remember being so confused about why there was a clone at all. And I remember all the B4 parts around the planet. Like for some reason that scene really stuck with me because it's like so not Star Trek. Like if this was on TV and I was like flipping through the channels and saw just the scene only, it would take me a second to be like, 
that's Patrick Stewart. What? Yeah. Wait, that's Data. Like, what? <laughs> what is going on right now? Just because that tone, the like visual tone in that scene is so different. But yeah, mostly my takeaway was I am confused, I am sad, and I didn't really like that movie that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about you, Rihanna? <laughs> that's about the same for me. Something huge that I took away from this movie was just the betrayal. Like, I felt absolutely betrayed as a Star Trek fan and as a Data fan. I felt like, yes, while it was a good send-off for Data, I was just sort of used to Star Trek characters coming back to life. And so I was expecting sort of a Spock thing where, like, maybe Data, like, put his neural net into B4 before because we did see that happen. You know, we saw that he did technically try to transfer his memories. That's, like, a remember for Data. Yeah, and so I thought it was going to be this whole thing where, like, they were going to transform B4 into Data. But then, you know, when uh, in the movie they're transferring the memories and they're like, what ship are you on? He's like, I don't know. And he's like, who's the captain? He's like, Captain I don't know, <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. just like none of this is working, and I'm like, oh no, this is not, this is not what I want my dreams to be, and they were completely shattered. So I really, uh, Data's death colored my whole experience of this movie, where I just absolutely despised it, like because of that, because the villain was weak in my eyes. I remember just being like, who's this bald guy, essentially, and especially the fact that they had data doing the blue skies in the beginning and then before singing it at the end (laughs) ashlyn's truly correct i was like despondent like i was like sobbing on the floor just like not not even connected (laughs) with the world (laughs) around me i was just full of data grief and so i remember a mom calling us downstairs afterwards to be like girls we're going to dinner and i was like i hate my life And actually, you know, we're talking about points. I remember I just gave Data, like, plus 2,000 or something for my points. Like, I just went crazy at the end. But, yeah, so my overall consensus was not good. I just did not like this movie and have not really seen it since. I think I maybe saw it one other time. And we watched brief snippets snippets of the B4 sections for our family series. But that's it. Like, I avoid this movie like the plague for the most part. Yeah, I am pretty similar. I don't avoid it like the plague. Like, if it's on, I'll maybe, like, you know, walk on by. (laughs) (laughs) Take a look to see what part they're at. Yeah. But I, too, have not seen it. This is the first time I've seen it all the way through since watching it for the first time. And like you said, I did, you know, for our family podcast, watch those B4 scenes, which is essentially, like, the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, in the first, like, ten. <laughs> yeah. I do think that the plot is convoluted enough that unless you're paying very close attention, you might need multiple rewatches to understand what is going on because a lot of it is exposition just, like, said in one scene where Tom Hardy is just, like, speaking a monologue about his whole life. And if you're not like laser focused and like taking notes and being like, okay, so he went to the prison planet, you know, (laughs) (laughs) then you might miss some things. Yeah, I mean, literally, because we're watching this movie with our mom, she's like, can we pause for a minute? Can you tell me who he is and what's going on? I'm like, yeah, this is the first time I understand it, so I actually can. (laughs) I actually, I told this to mom too in the moment. I was really happy that she didn't understand what was going on because I always felt, like, so confused, and I didn't know if it was just me. And so when, when she was like, 
and you know, at, at this point, our listeners know that our Moogie is like a Star Trek nerd. She is extremely yeah. versed. She's seen every Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. This was her first time watching Nemesis, but she's seen all the shows. And um, so, yeah, it made me feel comforted that a fellow Trekkie was also confused. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> I was like, okay, good. It's not just me who's really feeling muddled in this plot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to kick things off, I noticed a huge change uh, between this movie and the last movie, mostly because the directing is so different extreme difference you can tell this isn't frakes i actually really liked the directing i thought it was actually really deliberate and really interesting and i thought it really seemed fresh honestly like this this was um kind of something we hadn't seen with trek before and so i thought it was interesting when i was doing some research about this movie that they brought in stuart baird to direct this movie and of course rick berman chose him because he's still like running things at this point and he had done uh, U.S. Marshals and Executive Decision, which I had I have not seen those movies before. Mm-hmm. But just like kind of reading their plot, they're very serious movies, um, mm-hmm. like military movies. And he knew nothing about Star Trek. And Rick Berman chose him because he liked those films and because he wanted to bring fresh blood. And so I, I thought, oh, shoot, I'm on the same page as Rick Berman again. I hate when that happens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this movie, it was this was a long time between Insurrection and Nemesis. This movie came out in 2002. Whoa! And uh, in and Insurrection was 1998. So this this is a huge jump. And wow! Um, apparently, there was like hardly any marketing for this. They just were like, "Hey, new Star Trek movies coming out." So it seems like there wasn't a lot of hype around it. So, and then also just in terms of like some of the casting decisions that they made, um, Tom Hardy initially, so the character of uh, Shinzon, Picard's clone, was, uh, they were really considering Jude Law for the part. Really? Um, And mostly they were trying to look at people who looked like Patrick Stewart, which (laughs) I don't think about Jude Law, but maybe if you shaved his head, he would look like him. Maybe, yeah. Eventually they did end up getting Tom Hardy because he read the script and he really enjoyed it. But later, he, after after watching this movie later, he describes his performance as appalling. So that's, <laughs> that's really sad. Honestly, that's kind of comforting to me because like I am such an admirer of Tom Hardy's work. Like everything else I've seen him in besides this movie, I've thought he just blew it out of the water. Like we're talking Dunkirk, even Venom, he was phenomenal in. There's this movie called Locke, L-O-C-K-E. And it's just a sh- like an hour and 25 minute movie and it's incredible he's like it's all shot in th- uh, the car essentially and it's just tom hardy talking with these like voice actors essentially because he's like talking on the phone with them and he's doing this really long drive and it's effing incredible like that was what i thought the first movie i'd seen of tom hardy in until i came back to nemesis and realized that was tom hardy and then i was like what he's grown so much as an actor like he's so much better than he used to be you know but i think that it, it was just maybe not the right movie for him and maybe not the right casting or like he said he was just not on his a game 
I think the first movie that I knew it was Tom Hardy was what? Do you, what's that movie with they're they're in the dust and there's like the paint on the faces? Oh, um, Mad, Mad Max. Max. Yeah, Mad yeah. Max Fury Road. Rihanna and I always watched the Oscar winners, and I had mm-hmm. uh, or the Oscar nominees every year, and I had never seen any of the Mad Max movies, and so when that movie was nominated for Best Picture. That was when I was like, oh, wow, Tom Hardy's amazing. He's incredible and, in that. And I was also shocked to remember that he was Shinzon in this movie. Yeah. I mean, he's Venom. Um, he's, he's like, a great actor. <laughs> it's truly incredible, like, that they got such a, like, high-caliber actor, especially to act alongside Stewart. And so I just wish that, like, I don't know, maybe they had written it differently or he could have performed this differently because I think it could have been a really killer film had they maybe put more writing into his character and given it more of like, instead of him being like, I was cast aside after the Romulan government switched, you know, like, how about something else? (laughs) A different plot. It's funny you talk about that, Rihanna, because um, in an interview in like 2002, Rick Berman said that there was about 50 minutes cut from this movie and most of it, like pretty much all of it was character moments. Oh, <laughs> and wow. so because they wanted to focus on the final battle at the end and have that be the like primary focus of the movie, and so we we have lost a lot of character moments because of that. That's just disappointing to me because Star Trek is at its core so so intentional about their characters and so careful about character building that like. It sucks that a lot of times movies have to sort of adhere to this big screen, big proportions, let's have an epic fight instead of let's have sort of like a character building drama instead or like something that I can really start to understand the villain because like as much as that ending fight scene is cool, it's not like even on the top of my list of the best Star Trek like battles. No, I I do think it's somewhat notable. It's mm-hmm. I mean, it's cool. I think it's definitely a chess match. Between yeah. Picard and his clone, which is what it's meant to be. Well, okay, so a couple things. First of all, I'm laughing that <laughs> this whole movie series we're complaining like this is closer to an episode. We we, <laughs> we don't we want like world ending stakes, and then as soon yeah. as we get them, we're like we want an episode. <laughs> <laughs> you're so right. I'm so called out, and you're correct. But it's true, and especially because this these movies are so rooted in the friendships that we've seen being built over seven years or three, depending on the movie and the episodes that it's hard to see that totally ignored. And I also think that, you know, that's a result of the director not being a Star Trek person. And I just can't believe that this is the last movie that has the next generation cast because at least with Undiscovered Country, it was a good send off for the most part. You know, they got to sign their names on the screen and they have that like cast photo of them together. Everybody gets their role. In this movie, I think everybody does have a part to play, but it doesn't feel like, I don't know, like uh, it doesn't feel like as quite of a good goodbye because it's so overshadowed by Data's death. But maybe that makes it sweeter. I don't know. Yeah, I agree, Ashlyn. I feel like the characterization and the roles that people got to play in Insurrection was far better in First Contact, you know? Like, I think that they really hit the nail on the head of, like, how to get characters moving and doing all of these epic things. And then this movie just missed the mark because they spent way too much time on Shinzon and way too much time on Data's death, which, like... I mean, of course you have to if you have a main character death. And I understand that, but it just sort of ends, <laughs> you know? Like, you don't get any sort of see Riker and Deanna on the Titan, like, flying off. Or you don't get, like, 
Jordy doing anything? Like, even mourning his best friend. Like, it's just weird. Like, a lot of just bizarre stuff that, like, doesn't feel complete, you know? Yeah. I agree I, with I, you, I, Ashlyn. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, so you talked about way too much Shinjon time, Shinzon time, and I thought it was interesting, you know, we always talk about the opening scenes of these movies, and this is during, like, a trade negotiation with the Romulan Senate and, like, the Romulan government and Shinzon and his crew. And basically he's on the same side of the government for now. And we have to, you know, kind of talk about how, like, talk about his past. He was initially going to be a sleeper agent and take over Picard, like, kill him or whatever, and then take his place. And Mm -hmm. so he's in a very awkward situation now because the government scrapped that plot Left him for dead on the mines, the dilithium mines on Romulus, right? Mm-hmm. And then now he escaped. He has a crew. He's gained power. And he is, like, pissed at the government and trying to basically get them on his side for his revenge plot slash to take over the planet? What What's the his Federation? I mean, he also, I think he, I think there's a couple things going on. You're right. It's revenge driven, but I think it's also like, he's trying to find a purpose in his life. He's like, if my purpose was literally just scrapped and then I was left for dead, like he's, it's sort of the self-discovery journey. But also I think that he's trying to sort of revolutionize, um, what's been going on in this dilithium planet. I don't think it was on Romulus itself, but. Oh, it was um, on Remus. I'm sorry. Remus. Yeah, it was Remus. Yeah. Yeah, which is so, a moon of Romulus, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so, like, the inhabitants of Remus and the others on the Dilithium Mine, I think he's also trying to liberate and trying to create a better life for them. But also he's using them as pawns because they're useful for his, like, degenerative DNA stuff. Because his DNA was encoded with, like, temporal patterns or something where he could then be aged up to Picard's age if needed. Like, that's why they were going to do this whole replacement thing. And so we're just, like, we see that this is then just young Picard, but, like, it does not look like young Picard from Tapestry, which we can talk about later. But, like, anyway, I just don't really understand how he's still alive if that was in his body, but that's why he's dying, and that's why he needs Picard's blood to, like, keep living. And so that's the other thing is he's trying to prolong his life. Ah, so... Okay, I'm a little, like, triggered by the magic blood thing because I have just been, like, on a Spider-Man, like, binge. I've been, like, watching all the (laughs) Spider-Man movies. Literally last night I was playing the Spider-Man game on PS5 and then I was also listening to the Now Playing podcast when they reviewed Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like, at the (laughs) same time, like, I'm on, I'm, like, Spider-Man City right now. I love that. Um, But something that really was driving me nuts in the... Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the use of magic blood and Green Goblin is like or Harry is like Peter give me your blood give me your Spider-Man blood it's gonna gonna Mm -hmm. heal me and then also it's making me flash forward to a movie we're gonna talk about in two weeks Into Darkness with the magic blood and so then here again in Nemesis I'm like uh what is what's the deal with the blood (laughs) and I mean this is such a trope you know that like the the cure-all blood. I mean, this is even a Harry Potter thing, you know? And so I I don't know why it's such, like, an intriguing plot to people. Because for me, it just seems like a convenient way to get the villain close to our protagonist, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what's happening in this movie is, like, 
everyone's like, Shinzon, what the F are you doing? We need to start this plan or else you're going to die, my dude. And then he's like, no, I want to chat with Picard in his ready room. No, I want to talk to Picard about ethics. I'm like, you say you're not like Picard. Look what you're doing. Like, this yeah. is so Picard. Okay, dead ass, Rihanna. <laughs> also, it's very con-like, too. Again, it's these same villains who they're, like, so hell-bent on revenge that they're ignoring their, like, it, they're ignoring the good advice they're receiving from their friends. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, and I said it earlier, but I just feel like this movie would have been so amazing if it had been evil Picard versus our Picard. I feel like, oh my effing God, that would have been an unbelievable movie because Patrick Stewart would have gotten the chance to be evil, which we've never seen. I don't think there's a movie where he's a bad guy. Not that I can think of. So unless, like, oh, there is. He was in a production of Hamlet where he got to play uh, Claudius, so that guy's bad. Ooh. <laughs> he plays against ooh. Uh, David Tennant. David Tennant plays Hamlet, and ooh. it's phenomenal. It's kind of modernized, which is a little weird, but go watch it. I, it's one of my favorite versions of Hamlet behind the Kenneth Bragnall version. Is that the one you like bought on DVD and you have at home? No, that's the better to cover match one. Oh, (laughs) I digress. (laughs) (laughs) That one's bizarre and they put the to be or not to be soliloquy out of order, so don't watch it. I was very disappointed. Anyway. You heard (laughs) Um, it from... You hear hear first. From Beethor herself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree though. He's usually the good guy. So I'm just saying that this would have been an unbelievable movie if they had used Patrick Stewart twice. I mean, double, he wouldn't get double the paycheck, but he should have. Yeah, because I think what they were going for in these battles with the chess scenes, I mean, metaphorical chess, you know, where Picard's like, okay, I know what he's going to do. And because I'm older, I'm going to kick his ass. So I feel like even though we're supposed to be intimidated by Tom Hardy the whole movie because he is violent and aggressive. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not really scared of him because Picard is so much wiser. And there were some times where I was like, hmm, it, like seeing Tom, seeing Shinzon and Picard next to each other, it does make Picard look like an old man, which mm-hmm. I think is what they were going for. But you can never underestimate Picard ever. Yeah. And you always know he's going to pull through. Totally. And I think that if Brent Spiner gets to act with himself, all the freaking time then why not patrick stewart i know that they do have doubles in a lot of this next gen episodes now i'm thinking about it i'm thinking of all the times they like use two picards or whatever but we never get to see him as a villain you're so right and that could be so intriguing and i think it would heighten this movie to a different level but i think maybe it was budget you know they couldn't like animate or like couldn't you know do all that editing of having them act in a room together but again they did it with data and before and they've done it with data a million times and I feel like it's such a missed opportunity because then it kind of could have been this epic like Charles Xavier Magneto Dude, yes. Okay, I was thinking about X-Men a lot this movie, Mm -hmm. mostly because once again, Patrick Stewart is doing all of these action things that he never does ever. I mean, even the other characters that he plays, Professor X is literally in a wheelchair and doesn't participate in these action scenes. And so Picard is like grabbing his gun and going on the ship to like shoot down Shenzon. And he's being like really heroic. He's being Kirk in this movie, just yeah. like he has been throughout this series. And I kept thinking it is nice to see him out of his comfort zone being a little more crazy Especially when he's driving on the planet to find oh the B4 God. parts. And Picard is like, 
gleeful driving around. I'm I'm like, who who are you? <laughs> this is like this is reminiscent of like Detmer getting to do donuts in a starship, you know, like he really channeled his like pilot vibes. Tom Paris, his Will Riker, you know, he really just became this like really enthused pilot for the seat and it was so fun like to see him just having a blast like his friends just got married he's in like a different part of his life like I feel like he was really open and free in these moments and then of course is immediately snatched away but at least we got to see it like snatched that away. He was snatched, <laughs> snatched away, away. <laughs> um and before we uh continue on this segue that I brought up I just want to also say that I you know, in terms of plots that we wished would have happened, I was actually getting mirror universe vibes when mm. Shinzon was talking about how he had hearing sensitivity as a child. Yeah. Um, I know it's not the same as light sensitivity like Lorca has and people in the mirror universe. And, you know, as he continues to explain, he says that Picard had this issue as a child, which we've never known about. It's extremely rare and genetic. And so that's how Picard knows that Shinzon is related to him in some way. <laughs> oh, I thought that would be so cool if this was like mirror Picard. Like that right. I'd be down for if they like couldn't get Patrick Stewart or whatever. Yeah. I just also think that would have been an incredible choice. But no, yeah. they didn't do it. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, they did have the Viceroy and the others on Remus having that light sensitivity. So that was even more my like, yes. excitement of mirror universe. But alas, yeah, but shame. I mean, also poor Picard. He was born with this genetic, like very rare genetic disease. And then later on in life, he has a very rare genetic brain disease. And so it's just like, dang, he got dealt some poor genetic cards, you know, but also like he's dealing with it and he finds ways to like, you know, work around it and everything. But I would have been really interested if they brought that up, even in a small mention of Shinzon, because like, obviously that's not something Shinzon has to worry about right now in his state of life because of his age. But like, it could have been really interesting if they mentioned it because then it would have been a tie into all good things and everything. But I feel like the movie was really not trying to reference TNG that often or not really thinking about it. Yeah, I think it's just... Which is funny. <laughs> not thinking about it. I thought it was funny, too. Picard has that line. I mean, talk about not referencing TNG at all, because Picard has a line where he's talking to Shinzon, and he says, you and I have the same heart. And I'm like, literally, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have a fake heart, Picard, because I watched Tapestry. I'm sure that no one else um, on this production team, except Rick Berman, watched Tapestry. <laughs> Because he, Picard gets stabbed by a Nausicaan when he's in the academy at the bar. And that's why he has an artificial heart. And so literally Tom Hardy has like a beating heart. <laughs> yeah, and I really would have... I thought this could have been such a cool comparison if they brought it up. Like even though Picard's the one with the quote-unquote fake heart or the metal heart or whatever, he's the one with more heart. You know, like they could have really done a whole They could have done a whole Wizard of Oz thing with this, yeah. Literally, <laughs> like it was in you all along. <laughs> Maybe that's why they didn't do it because it's cheesy. <laughs> cheesy <laughs> now that I'm saying cheese. it. I have to do my <laughs> same. Again. Yeah, I gotta do it twice. <laughs> yeah, and this is another thing that's so important about this movie and something that I think they really did succeed well on is the whole idea of the clones and of the doubles in this movie because we're not just seeing it with Picard and Shinzon, we're seeing it with Data and before. And I really, really like that they're using this sort of extended metaphor to talk about like you know, nature versus nurture, and they're talking about DNA, and does that mean that it's a tie of blood and family and all of this stuff, and how Worf 
when he sees Data's head, he's like, this looks like you, Data. And he's like, maybe modeled after me, but he's not me, you know? And these kind of things where, like, it is really fun to see Spiner playing B4, you know, and how different he is and, like, how, you know, how he plays Lore so differently and soon and all of these different characters. It is really fun to see B4 as, like, not one who's, like, completely <laughs> manufactured, you know, he's before Data. And so this idea of cloning and of these doubles but how different they turn out to be is such a fascinating concept for me and I think that like they were really brushing around it the whole movie but they never quite hit like a hard metaphor home which is fine not everything that has Star Trek needs to have like a really convoluted metaphor but me as a writer is like you could have gone even deeper with that like you could have really gone into like the moral and like ethical implications of like shutting off before when he was of no use to anyone or i don't know like maybe talking about shinzon more i mean of course we hear now i know that there's 50 minutes of character building that they took out but um i don't know i think it just it's really good and it's a good kernel of plot and storyline but just didn't feel as expanded as i wanted it to be this is one of my biggest problems with the movie. So Rihanna, you say that Star Trek doesn't always need to have a big extended metaphor, but a good movie does. Yeah. Is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I kept feeling this way the whole time because why bring up two sets of clones in this movie if you're not going to have some sort of payoff with yeah. them? There, It was like they were digging for something deeper and forgot about it. I was laughing so hard because there's a very tragic interview with the uh, writers of Game of Thrones and, you know, when they're talking about how the last season went terribly mm -hmm. and everyone hated it. And he says, like, Danny just forgot about the Iron Fleet. And that's, that moment's been kind of memed because yeah. it's like, that is so incorrect. How could she ever forget about this giant fleet? But I felt that way in this movie at the end when, because, you know, they rescue, they, found, they find B4 in pieces on this planet. They put them together. Data just uploads his stuff to his brain. <laughs> like, there's no fear of like, huh, this could be a trap. Like, yeah. no fear at all. And it's, like, because these characters kind of forgot about B4, you know? Yeah, and they forgot about lore. <laughs> yeah, like, there's just no, not a thought behind these eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah, that was, that was bugging me. I think just overall, there's just a lack of cohesion in the whole script. Things are brought up at the beginning that are never brought up again. There's loose ends all over the place. I do think that the absolute strength of this movie, though, is in the small character moments that we do get. So after we have Shinzon's opening scene and negotiation with the senators, we see a really tremendous scene, and that is the wedding of Riker and Troy. Yes, finally! The, thing, the payoff we've all been waiting for. Yeah, waiting for <laughs> for years, for so long, for so many movies. The thing that makes me sad is that Will Wheaton is actually at the wedding as Wesley, but he's cut. You don't see him. You don't. Yeah, yeah you, we only see him in like the corner. Like yeah. I saw his face, but that was it. But there's a whole scene of him like having a reunion with the cast, and we see Whoopi Goldberg is there at the wedding. She's there in all the footage that's on the cutting room floor, and so Ugh. I'm just like, release the bared cut, <laughs> like release yes! the director's cut of this movie. Please, you cowards, do it. <laughs> it's what we need. Yeah, this is the thing: is Star Trek always functions so much better when you're focusing on the characters that we love, not on random villains, unless the villains are really well written. <laughs> 
or given more time. And so I totally agree, Ashlyn. There's a lack of balance in this movie. And I was also really mad about Guinan's like only getting one line of being married 27 times because every single piece of guided information I have, I like covet it and cherish it because there's so little that we know about her that any moment I'm so glad she's there but I was so sad that we didn't get any more of her and that really it was just Jordy and Guinan chatting and literally no Will Wheaton that was devastating to me because like he would have been hilarious they could have done some scenes where he's like hey hey Riker like he he you gonna have fun on Betazoid I don't think he'd be a nerd Rihanna I think he's like a temporal being now you're right he's like hello Riker I saw into your future and you're gonna have a blast (laughs) it could have been like throwing down some riddles like when Picard's body ages, another <laughs> shall appear, you know? like There's a way that it could have been really cool to show his progress because we haven't seen anything from Wesley and he hasn't been in any of these movies. Uh, I, yeah, I just feel like this whole wedding is a great excuse to get a bunch of characters together that we love why not please the fans it's the last movie give us roe baby like i would love to see that oh um is roe invited to their wedding <laughs> um <laughs> true probably she definitely made out with Riker. so i feel like when the rule she is was she... amnesia stricken oh god yeah no exes <laughs> at the wedding is kind of the rule even Except if they had Worf. amnesia oh well Worf's an exception yeah, he's like he chilling. has to be there. Also, he's not happy about it either. He's so, like, <laughs> yeah, this is the way that they get Worf out of DS9. And also, Loki, is DS9 over? Hang on. <laughs> yeah, we're, <laughs> we're at Enterprise at this point. Yeah, I think we're very this far out so of This is so late, DS9. Star Trek. And we're, and we're out of Voyager at this point. Yeah, season because 7. Because Enterprise has started. Oh my god, season 7 was in 1999. Yeah, so Worf is not <laughs> on the station anymore. Or I don't know where he is, but apparently he's at this wedding and he's chilling uh, on the Enterprise for the last time. We don't know any... Yeah, we don't know anything. Th- okay, this makes me so sad that this is the furthest we've gone in the Worf story is this wedding uh, and like this a nemesis is the last thing we know about Worf literally out of that's we, devastating we have Picard going right now we know nothing we have Disco going where they're in the future we know nothing there's no like Worf flashback which is very rude <laughs> I'm so mad <laughs> also Loki I was thinking about Prodigy a lot which is so funny yeah because in Prodigy all of these kids in the show like the premise is that they're working in these mines I I know it's I don't think it's dilithium mines and it's not like anywhere in the alpha quadrant I believe yeah because um, they're looking for that starfleet ship so that's why they're digging yeah yeah exactly so but anyway I was still getting like mine vibes <laughs> oh absolutely I feel like a lot of Star Trek has like mining so <laughs> yeah I mean it's and it's always used as a punishment it's very much like these penal colonies you know there's seems to be there's so many Star Trek like kids mining plots which is just so tragic even like think, adults mining like that's what Kirk and McCoy were sentenced to <laughs> and that's what you know like Gold Ducat created like labor camps that were mining dilithium and oh, or God. sorry or not dilithium but yeah so it's just like definitely used as a punishment and they seem awful obviously the conditions are always terrible it's just not good <laughs> let's put it that way no it's terrible Um, So poor Tom Hardy. I mean, you do definitely get sympathy for him throughout, Mm -hmm. like when he's talking about his sad life. And it did make me think about, obviously they're saying like, oh, I have a different face because of like, this is what a a life of violence has done to me is I don't Mm -hmm. look like you. (laughs) But it did make me think about 
how Picard would have been different in this situation. And it is really interesting, I guess, to see how he turned out. I don't know. The mm-hmm. problem is that I'm just like not that invested in Shinzon. And like a 10 minute story about his sad life does make me have sympathy for him, but it doesn't make me on his side. And exactly. I'm someone who's like such a Picard stan that it was, it's really easy to get me on his side. And yeah. the fact that I'm like not even connecting with him, I feel like it's kind of a failing of this movie. I mean, yes, he's supposed to be evil, but also I felt like I just wanted more exploration, like what you were saying with Data and before. All of these clone plot lines, I just need more from them. If, if that's what you're committing to, I need more. They did bring up, you know, the topic of, like, nurture versus nature and how one is raised can completely shift the way that they react to things and are. But I think, like, it was weird that their only connecting thing they had was that they both looked up at the stars and dreamed. I'm like, doesn't half of the population of any world? <laughs> like, I feel like there's a lot of people who will look up the stars and dream. That's what I used to do as a kid when I wanted to be an astronaut. Like, there's so much that, like, doesn't feel very personal about Shinzon and doesn't feel like because they had completely different upbringings and even though Picard wasn't in a super loving household he was still like cared for and still had a roof under his head and a meal and you know obviously his father didn't seem like the best person but like he still was able to break out of that mold and become this amazing captain and person and role model and all this stuff and Shinzon was raised in these horrific conditions that taught him only about violence and about greed and how like you have to claw your way to the top and it does make me think that if our Picard was put in that situation he probably would turn out similarly but again yeah I have no sympathy because I just don't know enough or care enough (laughs) yeah I do think the one thing Shinzon has going for him and the writers is that I thought it was really interesting that he was desperate to know about his family yeah and that I can't imagine growing up and having such disconnection from your roots because Rihanna, we are the opposite. We have four families. Yeah. We know too much about (laughs) our roots, to be honest. And totally. It actually had me thinking about people who are adopted and Mm. Danny's dad. So my father-in-law was adopted and he, you know, had great parents, adoptive parents who raised him from an infant. But as he's been getting older, he's been having more and more health problems and he's not sure what is genetic and what Mm. is just from me like going too hard mountain climbing when I was younger, you know? Are these bad knees really genetic or are they like something that I did to myself? I know that no matter how great of a time you had growing up, if you don't know your parents and you don't know your background, you really want to fill in those question marks. And so I think it was, an interesting reaction when Picard said that I was the first Picard to leave Earth. And Shinzon was shocked because he had built up this imaginary story that the Picards were these epic people who colonized Mars and (laughs) like (laughs) did all of this cool stuff. But really Picard is just like a normal dude who made something of himself. And so as much as Shinzon probably wanted an epic background, he also probably felt even more connected to Picard because that's exactly what Shinzon is doing too. He's a dude who is a dude. Um, <laughs> he is a sad person who is in a like terrible situation and is making something of himself, even if he's evil. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's so true. I think 
Two, I do like that this sort of allows Picard to think back to his earlier self, to his younger self, because it that's what really does harken back to me about the episode Tapestry in TNG of us getting to see a younger Picard and know that he was sort of a, like, rebel, devil-may-care kind of character. And I think that that's kind of fun for me, you know, to see Picard reflect on his past and not just think about Boothby, you know, but he's really thinking about how he used to act as a cadet and everything. And we have this hilarious, hilarious picture he pulls up of like him supposed to be looking like Shinzon. They must've put him in some like makeup, made him look younger, did a little photo shoot of Picard and his like, <laughs> so Star- yeah, his like Starfleet Academy fatigues. I don't know what it was, but it was cracking me up, especially because in Tapestry, we know he has a full head of hair. In a way, I kind of wish they had gotten someone who looked like Picard from Tapestry or like to show the passage of time, but they needed a bald man to make him look similar. <laughs> man, I just wish James McAvoy was old enough to play Shinzon <gasps> in this movie. Yes! <laughs> oh my god. He really does play such a good young Patrick yeah. Stewart. <laughs> He's like the quintessential young Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I just got like shivers because I love the new X-Men movies. Like I, I love First Class and all of them. And so I'm like, ah, that's amazing. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like those scenes are so funny to me because like I want to really enjoy them and be like, ah, yes, it's Picard reflecting on his past. And then I see a picture of him and I'm like, I can't take this seriously. So here's what I'm suggesting to the writers in a movie that has been out for almost 20 years. Um, <laughs> I, I'm suggesting that instead of making tapestry essential viewing for this movie, because I honestly felt like I would have gotten even less from this movie if I hadn't seen tapestry. Yeah. I think throw in some scenes of Picard at the Academy to make this more believable because I think if you are not as familiar with TNG, even if you're like a casual TNG viewer, this it's like deep cut to know that Picard was like a crazy rebel Mm -hmm. in a Starfleet Academy because he's such a private person. We don't talk about it that much. So it's not like every episode he's like, I remember that time I punched that guy in the face. You know, like he never... (laughs) No, he he would never talk about that. He doesn't share those stories. And so I would have loved to see some Starfleet Academy, like maybe open the movie with that, with him like in a bunch of fights or like womanizing all these people. I would have loved that because then... I would have understood that, oh man, Shinzon and Picard actually are really similar. It's not just like this life of violence that made Shinzon crazy. If Picard had made some different choices, he could be just as wild as Shinzon. So again, we're just like missing so many opportunities to explore this and to commit to this. But I feel like Berman was just wanting like slap some shit down on the paper and like make some money. And you know what? This movie made the least amount out of all the Next Uh, Generation movies. Wow. Is anyone surprised? (laughs) No. Um, No. Okay. I also, I don't want to talk about it, but I do want to talk about Troy in this movie um, because I like 100% blocked out all like her role in this movie, Mm -hmm. essentially because... She is empathic and is can like kind of read minds because she's half yeah. Zoid. The viceroy basically is able to see into Troy's mind and like mind rape her, essentially mm-hmm. like assault her while her and Riker are doing it. And mm-hmm. it's all Shinzon's idea. He picked out Troy when they first all beamed over to the ship 
which I was like, a squad rolling up. Like, this is great to have everybody there. Mm -hmm. But it was very, very creepy how Shinzon immediately was going towards Troy and just being very direct that he wanted to be with her. And Riker was like, hey, this is not okay. And he comes over and tries to protect her. Mm -hmm. But that plants the seed for Shinzon. And it shows just how awful he is. It's so, so disturbing. And I hate the scene. And I thought that that was it. And what was so, like, even worse than this whole scene happening is, and then at the end, when Troy is talking about her experience, Riker is freaking out. Crusher is scanning her and is like, technically you're fine, but, like, clearly you're not, you know? Yeah, adrenaline Um, levels, serotonin levels. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Troy requests to be relieved of duty because she's like, I'm a liability. She doesn't say it, but also like she's traumatized. Right. Um, And Picard says, no, if this should happen again, I need you like to be that connection. Yeah. He said, quote, I need you to tolerate more violations. I, I, I don't know what to say I, to that. Like, it's so bad. I, I I almost, like, turned off the TV. Yeah. Thank God they were interrupted by, like, a hail or something mm-hmm. happened with Shinzon, so Picard couldn't, like, finish that sentence. But that was disgusting and awful. It's reminiscent of the Spock and Valera scene and where you're just like, how is my hero doing this? Why are they enacting such horrible things on these women? And... Like, I think it makes it worse that it was Picard's clone who thought of that, and then it's Picard himself who's, like, still perpetuating it and allowing it to happen again, or the potential of it happening again, and it's just so disgusting to me because, like, I think about how, you know, we talk about how, like, in movies some things don't age well and everything, but this should never be something that has to age well. This should never be something that, like, has to be like oh sorry we shouldn't have put that in it was a sign of the times no 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 like none of that is acceptable regardless of like who you are what captain you are like if you're even if you're john luke freaking picard you can't say that to your staff you know and say tolerate this for longer because even if that's something he would do he cannot put that on other people and not put his own sort of ability to repress and hold back emotions and tolerate torture like he's done so often for so many situations does not mean that he can expect that of his crew and like order that of his crew particularly since like he's not a woman he has probably not been violated sexually like this and um i don't want to make assumptions obviously but like it's still just like you're not coming from an informed place of like how scary womanhood can be sometimes and how scary even just the thought of those violations are nevertheless them happening you know in real time and we've seen this happen to troy multiple times and it's really really scary every time and i just think it was so disrespectful and just horrific of picard to ask her this yes i 100 percent agree i think as a character it's disgusting mm-hmm. and even from a writing standpoint like sometimes Picard does get so emotional that he says things that he wish he hadn't. Like mm-hmm. in first contact, he breaks the ships. Like yeah. we've seen so many examples of him being so angry mm-hmm. that he just like loses it. Yeah. But in this scene, he was not like emotionally charged up enough. He was not no. like Ahab going after the whale with Shinzon. It you know, it's not enough of a like, and I'm not saying even if he was that angry and he said that it's still not okay, but yeah. I, but from a character perspective, from like a sense of drama, there's none of that in this movie. He's not like, I need to kill my whale, so you have to endure this right. for the good of the crew. Like, no. No. He's just saying it because he's being inconsiderate. 
Well, and that, and also I think, you know, even though he isn't one who shows emotions, he should be spitting mad that this happened to her. Like, he shouldn't be putting this on her to have to endure it. He should be furious that it happened in the first place. Like Riker is. Yeah, and that it's going on in his ship, and that, like, this would, at least for me, this would fuel my fire to, like, really try to do something. Like, if you think about Janeway and how... Janeway would slap like shins on she would put phasers on disintegrate (laughs) and shoot shins on she she would not hesitate you you think i had a year of hell (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'll give you a life of hell yeah Yeah. Uh, because like if anyone touches her crew you know she is just immediately like her claws are out she's ready to fight and i think that that is something that picard struggles with of showing you know his love for his crew and his like he does go to bat for them, but, like, morally and ethically and not really, like, but do you, in this, I don't know. Do you think this is just out-of-character bad writing for Picard, or do you think this is actually something he would do? I think for the most part it's out-of-character, but I think also, and I'm sorry to make general assumptions because I'm only speaking from a woman's perspective, but I think that a lot of times men will think that these kind of violations are not as big of a deal as women do. I mean, we see this constantly in our culture. So many people have been let off for raping or assaulting women, even when the woman had to come up and tell their traumatic story. Still, half or more people don't believe her or say that she's over-exaggerating or making it worse than it is. And so, unfortunately for me, from my perspective, it's not as surprising as it should be but coming from Picard it really is because like I'm like you're better than this this is really disturbing to me because men do tend to not believe women or to think that they're being dramatic or particularly someone as emotional as Troy but it's still no freaking excuse and it makes me mad that they would even think Picard would do that because that's not that doesn't seem in character for him but it does seem like something a man might do I don't know maybe I'm just being too harsh no, you're not at all. I thought it was a huge missed opportunity for Star Trek to be Star Trek because mm-hmm. when Crusher is scanning Troy and saying, otherwise, you know, besides your elevated hormones and serotonin levels, you're fine. This is what happens with so many cases of rape and assault is that it doesn't look, you know, if there's not any like scratching or bruising or anything, like it could just look like someone just had intercourse mm-hmm. and that's it. And and there's no way to know that it really was a rape. And that's up to how much everyone around the woman believes her mm-hmm. or whoever, you know, was the victim. And I really thought that they were going to take, you know, I- I'm glad that they all believe Troy. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But I thought they were going to take a step further and actually like send a message, you know, about assault. Um, yeah, or give her time off, give her that space to heal. Yeah, I any any of that. I thought yeah. I was really ex- like not. I was not excited. I was devastated by this scene, and mm-hmm. it's really triggering, honestly, to watch. Like mm-hmm. the whole the whole scene is really hard to see. This was a reason I didn't remember, but this was a reason why I don't rewatch this movie too much. Is because that scene is so disturbing to me. The slight slight thing that makes it better is later in the movie, Troy does get her revenge, mm-hmm. and she is able to mentally connect with the viceroy and take over his mind to figure out where they are because the ship is cloaked cloaked. this is in the final battle the romulans and shinzon have this insane ship it's got like two shields like (laughs) a thousand photon torpedoes it's like really stacked Mm -hmm. and it has this amazing cloaking device that even uh, the enterprise has never encountered before 
and Troy is able to get into the Viceroy's mind and kind of like look at the stars and look at like where the coordinates are. And then I thought that scene was filmed really cool because Troy has her hand on Worf's hand. She's guiding the shoot button around the console. And she's just like with her mind, like thinking about it. And I love that the Viceroy is freaking out on Shinzon's ship. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like he doesn't want to do it. So that made it awesome. Like it, Mm -hmm. it really helped me to kind of minimalize everything that happened in the last scene and say oh it's fine because it's Troy fine. She got, got her revenge, her revenge. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, I know well and one quick thing I do want to add is like we we're talking about this is an enterprise era now that we're in enterprise has already started and they actually do a very good arc for T'Pol over her um like mind assault that happened with her and the crew is very kind and treats her very well. I don't remember how Archer reacts particularly. He's kind of a dunderhead sometimes, so like maybe he didn't realize the stakes, but I think still he, if I recall correctly, and you know, our listeners at home can remind us or whatever, I haven't seen those episodes in a while because they're triggering and sad and everything, but they do, it gives me hope that like we are literally in the era of a show that will discuss this more and bring it more to the forefront and have it be something that's an important thing to talk about you know not I'm trying to make excuses for Nemesis not doing this but I am glad that Trek is like okay let's approach this in a way that's not toxic this time yeah and I feel like maybe if this movie had been made 10 years before the plot would have been no one believes you know that this happened to Troy so yeah we're like 20 years away from me too hang in there uh Troy <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'll get your time yeah it, it yeah yeah it's just not not good and like you said one of the reasons i really dislike a lot of parts of this movie and you know as we're watching it with our movie like she's just saying too like this movie's scary like this is just dark and scary and i'm like i agree like it's just always the atmosphere is physically dark you know because shinzon loves the dark and they all love the dark and like it's just also tonally very dark and like you said with the director directing the movies that he did like it did create a really, really good tone. Not good, but like a, a tone that I could really read. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's so much green throughout the movie. Like he's got a lot of like colors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's just misplaced in the franchise. And I think Nemesis, like this would have been a good third movie and maybe end on Insurrection, you know? Yeah. Um, because we're used to Star Trek movies being really light. Even something like Wrath of Khan is heavy, Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a big battle and it's serious. And First Contact, too. But we have these lighter elements in the movie that make it fun and exciting. Like Wrath of Khan, maybe there's not like Ahura and Chapel talking about their boobs getting firmer on the (laughs) B-plot. But we are energized about fighting Khan and because the Enterprise is doing really cool things and you're really pumped up about it. And And and, because the characters are so engaged and together. Exactly. And in this one, it seems like once again, kind of Picard alone, characters not really working together, um, except like sometimes they are. It's just, it's so sporadic and I'm not really having fun at all. No. Except for the wedding scene was fun. Mm-hmm. I love B4. I am like a total yes. B4 convert. I 
I stand B4 is like the the first BB8 like <laughs> yes oh my god you're so right the B is strong in this family he's so cute and when oh, oh Brett Spider man I mean I I kind of hate that my favorite role of his is B4 <laughs> <laughs> obviously no I mean Data is like amazing sure but B4 yeah. is so cute and he's just like looking around like so innocent and he's like hello like oh yeah and he oh. goes uh he goes to Picard when he first sees him he says why is your head so shiny <laughs> <laughs> Love it's just him. iconic, and I love the facial expression he made. Kind of makes like the duck face, you know. You just and he has the like, crazy head tilts that are like very robotic. I just think Spiner did this so brilliantly, and yeah, B four is kind of the levity of this, which is kind of like crazy that that's the only time besides the wedding that we get anything remotely to laugh enjoyable. At? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I for me, it's the eyes, like how he has his eyes constantly moving as B four. Yeah. It's so robotic and so cute, and like he's exploring everything all the time. And he's yes. like, oh, like, what? where am I? <laughs> right? That's why I'm like, Jada didn't even let B4 finish this sentence before he shut him off. And, like, we literally have a whole episode, Measure of a Man, about, like, not just shutting off creatures without their consent. So I'm like, Data, what are you doing? Like, I don't care that he's, like, a quote-unquote lesser species. Like, that's just ableist, Data. Stop being ableist. Yeah, also Picard in the wedding toast told Data to shut up. I, I was grumpy. I was, I was like, mad. what? <laughs> and everyone's what laughing. Say? I'm like, are we back to season one where we're disrespecting Data again? Like, what yeah. is this? I was like, why are we disrespecting androids right now at a wedding of our beloved friend? Thank you. And this is also something that, like, kind of mildly pisses me off about Picard always is, like, because after his death, Picard is very informed, like, his grief is very informed by, like, his love for Data. And I think he realized he loved Data only after he was gone. You know, it's sort of one of those things where, like, he was useful to him. He was a good officer. He was competent. He got his job done and, you know, an impeccable friend, all of this stuff. But he didn't really see the, like, friendship and, like, love aspect of care he had for data until he was gone and like that's very clear in this movie i think that they do have a good connection in these scenes where they're together but it's still just very like i can't even imagine them being first officer and captain you know data is you know stepping in for Riker because he's going to the titan which is very exciting troy's going with him and like we're about to be the lower decks era very exciting i love it here but also just imagining picard even training data for these first officer duties is sort okay. of like i want to see these scenes because i bet they're awkward as heck no rihanna picard doesn't have to do any training for data <laughs> to be first officer because data should be a captain at this point Thank it you. is so disrespectful I, I did not I, I did not imagine myself right now stepping on a platform to talk about data but it is literally so disrespectful he's been serving in starfleet for like 40 years mm -hmm. and he is not a captain like normally after 40 years you're like a grand admiral like with a cane <laughs> you know like it just because he doesn't age and because he was born a man yeah. <laughs> and like he taught at the academy for yeah. like a long time like spock style he's been on the enterprise as lieutenant commander and commander for literally so long like 10 yeah. years and he's not even first officer is crazy it's crazy and i felt like last time i talked about how Riker and picard were kind of bumping elbows a lot mm -hmm. because there's too many captains on the bridge now yeah <laughs> i feel the same way with data even mm -hmm. though he's not stepping up and being a captain mm -hmm. necessarily he's literally so qualified that he could easily lead the enterprise he could captain any ship and it's just such a weird tone for this movie because Picard starts it by telling him to shut up and then he dies later. 
Yeah. Like you were saying, Rihanna, how in Picard, Picard is devastated by Data's death and didn't realize it till after. I've always felt that way. Like even in the show, Picard mm-hmm. is fed up with Data. So I don't know. It's just sort of the same disrespect that they give Wesley a lot of the times. And I'm like, don't, I mean, it's not okay regardless of who you're disrespecting, even if they are a child, like, especially if they're a child because they're developing and learning. (laughs) Um, And I can't believe that I used to be on the like, oh, Wesley's so annoying. I'm like, yeah, he's a kid. Like, he's going through a lot. Anyway, um, they just treat Data like a kid too. And they treat him like this naive little creature who doesn't know social cues and who's not human. So he's not smart on like how to be a person and all this stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we literally just talked about last episode, how much he's grown as a human and sort of in his humanity and also how much he's grown as an Android. We can really see in this movie too, that his skills of like acting are unparamount. Like he can really, he can be before he can like, just be such a badass and get stuff done while also empathizing with the crew and being this beautiful person. And so it's just annoying when they don't acknowledge that. Absolutely. And Rihanna, I want to take note because we talked so much about this in last week with Insurrection. I think that Brent Spiner is doing one of his best jobs in this movie, not only as B4, but also as Data. And the reason is that he doesn't have his own like unrelated subplot. Mm -hmm. He is so good in this movie because he is essential to the crew and getting everything done. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the whole reason, though, why Data dies is because Brent Spiner didn't want to be in any more Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Joke's on him. He still is. <laughs> Too bad. And he wasn't Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of makes me laugh. It's kind of like Leeboy, you know, they just keep roping him back in. <laughs> I think he just didn't want to get pigeonholed into playing Data for the rest of his life. There. Too bad. So sad. <laughs> You're going to play a bunch of scenes. Close enough, bud. <laughs> yeah. So I did think he was awesome in this movie, though. And I mean, like we mentioned, there really is no other place of light in this movie except for B4. Oh, mm-hmm. and Rihanna, what you were saying about Data being such a badass, I think also we show how far he's grown because of the way he's treating B4, aside from like turning it off, which is unethical. He is kind of acting like a, like an older brother or like a father yeah. to B4 and showing him like, oh, buddy, you can't handle this right now. <laughs> yeah, like kind of like how with Lull, you know, I mean, he didn't get as much time to like take him around and show him the crew and all of that, which could have been a great scene, but that's fine. But it's still like, you're so right. I do like that he's sort of being a mentor for B4. Yeah, so, you know, we do have to mention Janeway. Janeway has a great yes! cameo in this movie. I love her on screen. We were all screaming when we watched this. <laughs> Dare I say, is she one of the best parts of this movie? Um, I <laughs> think that she blasphemy? might be. I think she might be. <laughs> I love how candid she gets to be. Her and Picard sort of like just have this cute little witty banter. Of course, she's like, you're the closest ship in the fleet. And I'm like, of course they are. That's classic. And it's really cool to see her Admiral Janeway, but not like sad Admiral. <laughs> like we saw in the beginning of Endgame, we get to see Admiral Thriving Janeway and it's really nice. That's her middle name is Thriving <laughs> Janeway. Um, <laughs> and maybe, thriving. who knows, maybe Chakotay is just like in the background, Rihanna. you know, like Rihanna. in their house together. <laughs> yeah, she's Sorry. working remotely that day. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, hang on, honey, I got to FaceTime Captain Picard. <laughs> I just love that. It's so fun. Once again, we're seeing, I mean, Voyager's done at this point, but we're seeing promotion for another show. We're seeing like how these Star Trek universes are connecting. It's such a blast. And I think that if TNG movies had continued, we would have seen 
not Archer, obviously, but I think we would have gotten more, like, background into him or done some, like, Enterprise callbacks because, like, that's just how Trek rolls, you know? And it's amazing. I mean, just wait one more movie, Rihanna. We'll have some Enterprise references. Oh, yeah! (laughs) Look at that. (laughs) Yeah. Um... Sorry, I'm kind of distracted because you bringing up Chakotay right now. Really, I'm so like, sorry. I didn't even think about that, that they could be married and we would not even know. Right, uh-huh. because like the whole Seven thing is probably done with, thank the Lord. Hopefully, I'm I praying. Mean, I'm just happy that Janeway's happy in this future. Like she yeah. changed the whole universe and it seems Very like it's dicey. going well. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> even though she destroyed all those people's lives, they don't exist anymore, so it's fine. Yeah, who cares? Tom and Bellana's baby? Yeah, she she's still there. She's different, just different. Different path. It's fine. <laughs> It's very Shinzon-esque. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so I want to mention this kicking butt Romulan. Her name's Donantra. She's awesome. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name. Oh, she is cool. Yeah, pour one out. Okay, this is also another movie that's setting up for Picard. You know, I think that definitely when when the writers were starting to write for Picard, they watched a frick ton. They watched a bunch of nemesis you know they're like ton is an actual unit of measurement (laughs) so thank you for bringing that to light thank you yeah uh they probably just binged nemesis like 14 times to really get prepared for picard because like i see so much of it being informed by this movie like starting with the romulan collaboration i think that this is so freaking cool because it allows for us finally to start to see hey picard's gonna have even more connections with the Romulans. He he says hopefully that this can start to pave a way to peace or pave a way to negotiations in the neutral zone, which like it does. She Denantra is like a huge factor in of course like nothing massive happens with the Romulans for quite a long time peace negotiation wise, but it still is this step forward that Picard is instigating and that other Romulans are willing to instigate. And I think it's similar like the enemy of my enemy is is your friend. Is that how you say it? The yeah. enemy of your enemy is... Wait. Wait. <laughs> the enemy of my enemy... Is my friend? <laughs> no. Like, oh, yeah, is my friend. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what Denantra's say- thinking. And I think, too, though, she's setting aside her maybe hatred for Starfleet or her, you know, distrust or whatever and trusting picard and her to work together in order to stop earth being destroyed that's really cool like also they know that this thalon this theta no what's it called this radiation that's terrible oh that one that will like murder everyone if there's <laughs> yeah. only like a millisopic m- second of it yeah crusher like freaks out about it i'm like what? that's crusher's okay. like only role it's terrible <sighs> again oh yeah the thaleron radiation she knows how bad it is and like I don't know, I just, I'm really proud of her as a character and really happy that she was an addition to this movie because we see her sort of shift as Shinzon is starting to become more and more unhinged. She realizes she's on the wrong side of this and then joins with Picard and the Enterprise and really puts up a good fight before I totally thought their ship was going to explode and I was so worried for her. I'm like, no, please don't destroy this character after just creating her. Like, she's too cool. And they do keep her, you know, or at least she does stay alive. And so I just want to pour one out for her because she's just so epic and like so unlike sort of the stereotypical Romulan where they're not going to trust anyone, hell the Starfleet and go do your own thing. We're not helping you. All this stuff. Like she really sets all that aside. And you know, because so much of Romulan culture is ingrained in like paranoia, suspicion, lies, you know, subterfuge, all this stuff that she can set that aside is phenomenal. I love it. Yes. And 
I think that this whole plot with the Romulans is so underrated and should be more heavily featured. Yeah. Not only because of its prevalence in Picard, but just because of how groundbreaking it is that this is the first time that any of the Romulans... Well, okay, there's like one episode in Voyager, but for the most part, like the Romulans are like, no, we don't want help... F you, mm-hmm. stay away from us. But this is the first time that they're extending an olive branch. I know there's like, again, like I'm now thinking of more exceptions, but sure. this is still a huge deal. Like Picard is a huge figure in Starfleet. And so her basically saying like, you have a friend with the Romulans now. You have a friend in the Romulan Empire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shane company. <laughs> One half mile east at I-85. <laughs> anyway. This episode was brought to you by Shane company. <laughs> Even they have a friend in the Romulan wow. Empire. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just shaken, shaken by this to the mm-hmm. core. And especially knowing that Romulus is going to blow up in like Ugh. 20 years. Like this is really setting the stage. Like accidentally, Heike setting the stage for Star Trek 2009 mm-hmm. and Picard and all of our, like the Romulan future that we have. So yeah, whew, I, it just gets me excited and I wish it was more heavily featured in this movie. I agree. And I'm also really happy just about this movie because I think Romulan plots always succeed very well. You know, I think that often we had the Klingon plots for nearly every Star Trek movie in the original series and it just got a little tiring. It's like, ah, yes, another Klingon ship ready for revenge against Kirk. You know, but here the Romulans have been such a grand enemy for so long in both the original series and Next Generation. I can count on like 12 fingers or more how many amazing Romulan episodes there's been since the original series into Next Generation, into Deep Space Nine, into Voyager. You know, they're continuously these fascinating villains that toe the line between good and evil and like showing you that not everyone is just good or all bad or all good or whatever. It shows all of these shades of gray that the Romulans exist in. And oh, it's just, it's just probably the thing that succeeds most for me in this movie. Sorry, um, my cat Upton is very desperate to get in the bedroom, so well, you hear him. He loves this Romulan lady, so. <laughs> I love that, Rian, I totally agree. And I think it's really interesting that we end the original series movie era with Peace with the Klingons, mm-hmm. and then the end of Next Generation movie era, we are starting to hint at Peace with the Romulans. Yeah. And I think for like Gene Roddenberry's vision and all of Star Trek, I think that is a really cool progressive place to be. <laughs> yes, you're so right. I mean, they literally say that ships are being sent to the neutral zone. There's like a neutral zone task force to talk peace with the Romulans. So obviously nothing comes of it for quite a while, but it's still just this incredible step. And isn't it funny that the instigator of all of this was Picard's clone? So kind of <laughs> yeah. like Picard in any state is going to try to make peace. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I, so I don't know, I think I'm sort of ready to start talking about this, these closing scenes. But one thing I do want to talk about is the way that this battle takes place, because we see first that Picard tries the auto-destruct sequence, like that is his first go-to, which is like, oh my god, here we go, another movie with auto-destruct sequence, and like, we're gonna lose another Enterprise, and all this stuff. But it's offline. And so I really liked that sort of like, ha gotcha. Thought we were Star Trek troping. We'll do other tropes instead. You know, like, I thought that was kind of clever. But then, of course, we have this Rikers down in the bowels of the ship, like, having this crazy fight with this Viceroy guy while Picard is having this bridge battle with Shinzon and the help of um, Denantra. So it's just 
it's kind of cool, you know, but it also is so very Star Trek that there's this scene where this bridge comes loose and there's like this huge abyss. And I'm like, are you watching Star Wars? Are you watching Star Trek? Are is we, this generations? Like, like is, <laughs> yeah. is Riker going to die under a bridge? <laughs> yeah. It's just sort of like, ah, uh, yes, I'm spying these movie tropes again. And we're going to see probably the same ones in our Abrams films. And so it's just like classic to me. I'm like, of course they had to add in these things that are like high stakes. We got to, this is what the drama is, is dangling from a bridge. I feel like I know that Riker is fighting the Viceroy because of what happened to Troy, which Mm -hmm. is cool, but I feel like there's some scenes missing yeah, because I feel like that fight should be more epic. And Riker is the guy who's always going on the planet, like punching people out. So I was missing, honestly, a little bit more of that scene. And I thought it would have been cool to have, I don't know, just like a little bit more Riker because I kind of missed him in this movie. He he wasn't quite as heavily featured and probably that's because he wasn't directing it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's true. And it is cool that Troy gets to take command, though. I really like that she is now in charge of the ship. Like she takes the bridge and that is another sort of like F you to the Viceroy and F you to Picard for telling her to, you know, deal with her trauma in a toxic way. And so she does still get this command, which may be more stressful now that I think about it, but <laughs> it's still cool to see a woman on the bridge when like TNG just does not do that very often. A woman on, sorry, I mean in the captain's chair. Yeah, literally, I can't think of one. I can Except think for, of like Crusher takes it once or twice. And I so can does think Troy. of like female admirals who are really annoying, um, <laughs> but that's it. Yeah. Or like Shelby, who's first officer. Oh, yeah. Or like, you know, like in Disaster, Troy gets to take command. But again, she sort of is like portrayed as this like... She can't do it. Bimbo. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, I thought this was a nice arc for her. And it made Mm -hmm. me think about how she is a commander and how she like put herself through that training at the end of TNG. Mm -hmm. How cool that was. Yeah. this, This finale is cool. But again, I don't really feel high stakes because we have proved throughout the movie that Shinzon is not as smart as Picard. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, even though Picard's older and is less impulsive, I'm still thinking that he's going to win the battle, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They they totally foreshadowed uh, what's what happens at the end because Data very clearly shows his little, like, transporter... Transponder, that yeah, yeah, the transponder thing that he has in his arm, and is going to give it to Picard. And this is you know like thirty minutes before the finale, and Picard says, "Let's find a way to get off the ship together." And ugh, sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and this scene too. Like I feel just disappointed that Jordy and Data didn't get more of a send off. It is still a beautiful scene where. Jordy helps Data get through, you know, the this like whole blasted part of the ship that he can just go in because of course Data doesn't need to breathe in space or he won't explode in space or whatever. So he just launches himself out, does his own EVA without a suit, mm-hmm. like a like the badass he is. But Jordy, they don't even exchange words, and maybe that is sort of something about their friendship of like they don't need any words to say it. But I want them to say words. I want them to hug and say goodbye. I love you, like. Obviously, I think Jordy's pretty aware that Data's not coming back from this, or he's at least aware that this is going to be pretty dicey and self-sacrificial, what he's doing, and he's still letting Data go. And just the way that Data looks back at Jordy, I'm like, ah, like, I don't know. I feel like Jordy just deserves better in these movies in general, and also just as sort of highlighting their friendship would have been a really cool moment to cycle off that arc instead of making it a whole Picard and Data thing, because like like we talked about, they weren't best friends like Jordy and Data were. No, and Jordy is such a ride or die, and this is the best example of it. He still is helping Data and helping Picard and the Enterprise, even though he probably knows what's going to happen. 
I mean, it's very Ugh. reminiscent of the episode Interface where Jordy is also risking his life to find his mom and Data completely goes with him. I mean, not truly because he's in the inter- Interface, but like he is the one watching Jordy's vitals being metaphorically right there beside him. And so we see this, like they help each other take these like life risking journeys because they know it's more important than them staying together. But it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And I just wish they could address this more. Okay, so Rihanna, I have a suggestion. Mm-hmm. How about we jump to an alternate universe, mm-hmm. which is like Earth One, if we're yeah. watching The Flash, <laughs> and instead of a reboot called Picard, it's called Jordy, and yes. it's about Jordy living on a winery. <laughs> yes, and he's having like nightmares about Data dying. How about yeah. that instead? <laughs> I love that. Like he's living on this winery. He's doing like a reading rainbow esque like uh, a show for the kids. Like he gets on Zoom and he's like, "Okay, Starfleet little kids, let's have a reading session." And I'm gonna read a story about my friend Data. And you're just like sobbing every episode. Yeah, I, I just, love that. I just want Jordy to have more love. Like you said. In these movies, he really doesn't do too much. He's kind of like the Sulu of these movies. And it makes me so sad because Jordy is one of my favorite characters. And especially his relationship with Data is so great. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just sad about this whole ending. And I always cry when they talk about... So after, you know, the ship is blown up, Data is sacrificed, and the whole crew is looking out of the empty ship like the they i mean we didn't even talk about how epic it was when the ships crashed into each other right i thought that scene was actually really cool and something that we haven't seen before Mm -hmm. or we have but i don't know it's it's on this big scale and i i really enjoy it and so unexpected shinzon did not expect picard to just like ram his precious enterprise (laughs) exactly into the ship so after the ship has exploded the whole crew is looking out and just trying to like gather what has just happened to them And the scene that is probably my favorite, even though it's so awful, is at the end where they all have their wine. Chateau Picard wine. They're all drinking Picard's wine and talking about memories of Data. And Riker's Mm -hmm. recalling the first time that he saw him on the holodeck. Yeah, and he says, what song was he whistling? I'm trying to remember. And I was like, bro, Pop Goes the Weasel. (laughs) (laughs) That's the song he was whistling. Come on, where's your memory? Didn't you just watch Encounter at Farpoint, dude? You know, I I thought that was really cool because it brought me immediately back to our pilot series. It brought me back sort of to a full circle that we did for our own podcast of like, oh yeah, we literally talked about Data and Riker's first meeting in that pilot episode. And it's just like was so, oh, just like thinking about all of the longevity of these characters and the time that they've had together and to think like, I do love the fact that Riker is the one to initiate this sort of reminiscence because I think it helps to bring people out of their grief into like a happy memory, you know, thinking like, wow, Data used to not be able to whistle. And now look at him. He just like sacrificed himself for all of humanity. Yeah, exactly. I will say that this does bring in some confusion. And Rihanna, this is something I do remember from our first watch through is Mm -hmm. this is like some sadistic part of my older sister. (laughs) like life is that when you're like sobbing hysterically about a character i have the need to like bring up like their greatest moments like on youtube (laughs) like a compilation so we can watch like 
all of Data's best moments, so I just can make Rena cry harder. Harder, um, yeah. But I, for this one, I remember I was really curious uh, to watch this first scene again because when we were watching Nemesis, it had been so long since we had seen the pilot and we hadn't gone back and watched it. Mm-hmm. And so we watched that scene from Encounter at Farpoint. I don't know if it was while you were hysterically sobbing or if it was like the next day. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the movie Nemesis implies that Data was singing Blue Skies in the pilot. At least that's yeah. what I got from the mm-hmm. watch view because that's what he sings at the wedding and that's what before is humming. Mm-hmm. And Picard is like shook. He's like, OMG, you yeah. know Blue Skies too? <laughs> <laughs> Irving Berlin. Berlin. But... <laughs> It's not blue skies. Like if if you go back and watch that scene, he is singing Pop Goes the Weasel, which is really sad that we still are singing that song in the 24th century. But right, yeah, I'm like over Pop Goes the Weasel personally. Oh yeah, yeah. same. Yeah, it's an awful song. But like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is weird that they were like, hmm, what was he whistling? I'm like, I guess you just wanted to tie it to like the other time he sang. But you could have been like, hey, remember last movie when he did British Tar? That was amazing, <laughs> you know? Or like, hey, remember when Data did Sherlock Holmes program? Like, I don't know, you could have brought up something that was, like, a little more showed as humanity than just trying to whistle, but oh well. Well, and how funny would it have been if Data sang Pop Goes the Weasel at Riker and Troy's wedding? <laughs> <laughs> or that's what B4 started, and Picard's like, Pop Goes the Weasel. <laughs> <laughs> like, tears running down his face, oh my god. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, wow, amazing. Yeah. But I do still cry whenever I hear Blue Skies. And actually, this song really changed my life because after I watched Nemesis, I got really into Irving Berlin, actually. And like that was kind of the start of my jazz era, which is so funny and sad that that's how it started (laughs) in high school. And I sang this like in shows and I lost my life when they play it in Picard. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I can't do with it ever. Particularly having Issa Bronis be the singer of it is just so magical. Like, I love that Data was the one to sing it, and then Data's daughter is the one to sing it. Like, they really just full-circled that, like, Guinan style. I was like, I love this. Yes. I want to talk quickly about Shinzon's death, because I think it is very fascinating the way that he dies. The fact that, you know, Picard gets this like big pole and impales him and Shinzon is like using the pole to like pull himself close to Picard and he like dies on Picard's shoulder and everything I'm like this shows their fundamental difference we're talking about his artificial heart the fact that he was stabbed in his human heart you know is just so fascinating to me because like it almost gets me to that metaphor that I'm looking for you know (laughs) if 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 they had talked about his artificial heart at all, I would have been like, wow, my mind's blown. Like, this is the fundamental difference is, like, Picard's choices of the Academy, you know, getting the artificial heart, the whole thing he went through through Tapestry, like, quote-unquote, saved his life and doomed Shinzon. And so, I don't know, I think that, oh, it could have been so cool if, like, they had talked about it at all. But anyway, I still thought that was kind of cool, even if it was, like, a low-down, low-key reference for the big fans or whatever, I mean, or maybe it wasn't. I think he's stabbed in the heart. He's, like, the pole goes through his stomach. Oh, really? Because he's Aww. at, like, the same height as Picard. True. Okay, well, nix that, then. No, <laughs> I guess there's no metaphor. I still think it shows the differences between them, though, because mm. in the very end, like, when Picard is dying, I would imagine him to be, like, very, you know, reminiscent and um, <laughs> thinking about, like, th- talking about life. But 
shins on he grabs the pole and pulls it deeper through him and Mm -hmm. he's trying to strangle picard like to the bitter end he's thinking if i'm dying i'm taking you with me and picard doesn't even fight it because he's like this guy's about to die like he can do whatever he wants to me but he's not going to kill me Mm -hmm. when he thinks he's gonna die because he doesn't see data yet you know and i think that this is another thing that makes data's goodbye really abrupt is because picard is sort of in shock you know i mean i'd be in shock if my clone died on my shoulder after choking me (laughs) i would be like catatonic and so picard is here sort of just like you know he's clearly in shock he's clearly like out of it and then data's like right in front of him throws shins onto the ground which i love he's like get that guy off of him and then he's like here you go goodbye and then he, you know, and then he's gone. And so I feel like it was so abrupt, but almost kind of like that's how it would have gone. You know, I, in a way, I am glad that that was Data's like, here, get the hell out of there. I'm going to do this moment, even though I wished for a better goodbye from the rest of the crew. Like, I think that was a perfect goodbye for Picard of just like, I'm getting you out of this situation, out of this horror nightmare that you found yourself in and saving everyone. Yeah. And I think this type of death also would be incredibly haunting and it makes me understand more of what Picard is going through in Picard. This is so confusing. (laughs) Um, Star Trek colon Picard. (laughs) Um, But because it happens so fast and like you mentioned Picard is literally catatonic like he does he can't even move Mm -hmm. I feel like I would replay that moment over in my head about a million times and thinking what could I have done different I should have like pushed him out of the way or Mm -hmm. You know, or not even if he's not even having regrets, also just thinking he made that sacrifice in a heartbeat. He didn't hesitate, he didn't try to save himself, he just did it and he said bye, you know? Yeah. And so I think that type of selflessness is really rare and really inspiring. And so I think I would just also feel so grateful to have known Data and to have such an amazing friend i mean that's that is truly a debt you can never repay like um, yeah. that that never happens in real life you know no it's, it's crazy well it might but not to not like this at least yeah. not to me so i yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm just like vibing in my house so <laughs> yeah i totally agree yeah so overall i really think that this movie is essential viewing if you are a hardcore star trek fan and mm-hmm. you want some puzzle pieces kind of explained especially when transitioning between TNG and the rest of Star Trek because we have so much of I mean Lower Decks stems from this Picard stems from this I think a lot of the facts were given here a lot of the later shows will take from it Mm -hmm. and also it is a way to tie up kind of what happens with the TNG cast we don't know what's happening with Jordy or Worf or Crusher, but we know mm-hmm. that Riker and Troy are married and they're having a good time, we assume. We know that mm-hmm. Picard is sad, drinking wine, and that's that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So I would have liked a real wrap-up, but for what it is, I think I would not watch this movie if I was not a Star Trek fan, yeah. and I'm probably only going to watch this movie when I feel like I have to. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. That's 100% my my feelings as well. So given that, Rihanna, I would love to hear your ranking because now we have 10 movies that we have watched so far. And yet this is the first time I am grabbing my pen (laughs) because I can't do this on the fly. She can't do it in her head, yeah. So I'm really, okay, Rihanna and I, we we paused and now we're back. Uh, Okay, Rihanna, would you like to go first and share your order? Yeah, it's weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I'd be this way, but here we okay, are. Okay, let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so in 10th place is Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Ninth place is Generations. Eighth is The Motion Picture. Seventh is The Undiscovered Country. Sixth is The Final Frontier. Fifth is Insurrection. Fourth is Whoa. The Search for Spock. Three is The Voyage Home. Two is First Contact. And one, of course, is The Wrath of Khan. Okay, interesting. I have, I'm just so curious, Ashlyn, what about you? We are similar, but have some differences. For me, in 10th is Nemesis. Nine is Motion Picture. Eight is Generations. Seven is Insurrection. Mm. Six is Undiscovered Country. Fifth is Final Frontier. Fourth is Search for Spock. Three is First Contact. Two is Voyage Home. And one is The Wrath of Khan. Okay, I like that four shares search for Spock. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I literally am especially excited next week to talk about Star Trek 2009 because that, you know, we talked about this so much, but that was the movie that got us into Star Trek officially. Yes. And so I'm very excited to have Trek Untold with us, especially to give us a new perspective on that movie. And I'm seriously overjoyed to talk next week. Yeah, I'm like quaking. I'm so excited. This is a whole new era of Trek movies that we're getting into. And so I hope that you all tune in to listen to our Kelvin part of our movie series which will be our final three episodes so thank you all so much for tuning in for this episode on nemesis and thank you for the tng crew and jonathan franks and everyone who created these amazing next generation films and i'm just so excited for kelvin verse me too i can't wait thank you for listening to the dura sisters podcast please tune in next week for the 11th episode of our movie series where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss the 2009 Star Trek. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, and villains. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Editing is done by Ashlyn Gelman and Rihanna Hurd. Our intro and outro were written by Jerry Goldsmith. My Dura Sister sweatshirt is on its way. Oh my god. <laughs>